one thing parenthood has taught me is if I don't speak and I don't discuss and I don't teach, um, I will create a fear. The fear, the wall of fear will get higher and higher Mm. and higher and will block communication. Welcome to Own the Future, a podcast made for and by changemakers, where we gain the courage to own our story, the freedom to own our craft, and the power to own the future. I am your host, Lucas Grobot, and I want to thank you for being here with me on the show today. And we are joined by Dalia Rahimi from Saudi Arabia, who now lives in Dubai. But the reason I brought Dalia on the show is because she used to work as an editor for Arab News for a number of years, covering social change that was happening, the changing of economic policies, changing of judicial policies, changing of insurance policies, all the way back in 2003. And the things that we are seeing happen today, social change today in Saudi, she never thought was possible. She's like, these are miracles. I never thought I would live to see the day that women were allowed to drive. And so I brought her on the show because what do we talk about? We talk about how can we as individuals change and shape culture and society around us. And we begin to hone in on, as you heard in the preview, hone in on equality or qualities that we need to adopt in our leadership, in our communication, in our interaction with people as individuals, which is listening, which is having the ability to disagree with one another, and how that is going to move society, move culture forward into a better and healthier place for each and every one of us. I hope you enjoy this episode with Dahlia. Dahlia, thank you so much for uh, joining me and um, being available to sit and talk for a few few moments um, on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, when I came across um, you and I just started reading some of the things you've done, um, some of your articles, the, the newspapers that you've worked for, um, I thought that you were a perfect fit um, for the show where we talk about a lot of things that you talk about that the how the world is changing, how culture is changing, and what steps can we do today to take responsibility and shape the future that's lying ahead of us. So thank you so much for being here on the show. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to contribute to such a nice project. Well, I wanted to I wanted to start, and, and this is where I normally start, especially for someone like you who you grew up, you were born, you're Saudi, but you were born and you grew up in Vienna, Austria until you were about 12 years old. Is that correct? I was born in Vienna, Austria. I lived there for a bit, but most of my life, I mean, my early life, I lived in Germany. Oh, you lived in Germany. So what language yeah. What language did your parents speak in the home? Which, what, what would you consider your mother tongue as you were growing up? Uh, my mother tongue is German. Is German. Yeah. And so when did you begin to pick up Arabic? When we went back in Saudi Arabia, when we went back to Saudi Arabia and I enrolled in a Saudi school, this is the time when I started to speak or I had to speak Arabic. And how how was that process? Because how was that process for you at being Saudi, 
Saudi by nationality, but really growing up in a, a very different culture in Germany and then coming back into a very different world um, with lots of limitations. What what were some of the things that you experienced as as a young girl? I think I've never, while living in Germany, I never had the feeling Saudi Arabia was restrictive at that time. It was always exotic and it was always um, warm and full of traditions because we had family members visiting us all over the years. So it was always nice to have my aunties, my grandfather, and so on visiting us. And when we used to go back to Saudi, it was always full of life. And I've never felt those restrictions, but it was funny enough when I came back, when we all came back from Germany at the age of um, 12, I went to my dad and I begged him to put me in a boarding school. And this was with no particular reason, you know, I hadn't encountered anything bad or negative. On Mm. the contrary, it was always very warm. But it was a gut feeling I had that it was becoming quite tight. And um, it's hard to uh, explain because I've never had real difficulties going back as a child. But as an adult looking at it, if of course I was weird. Right. I was always weird to my um, Arab friends because, you know, I was talking about different issues, um, discussing them from a different point of view, allowing myself more or things um, that others would consider inappropriate, mm. which were pretty normal in Germany. So I grew up with this feeling of I'm always doing something inappropriate, crossing borders. And um, that was the difficult part because I've never understood what it was and I've never been told what it was. It was always Dahlia behaved this way, Dahlia followed this rule. And I'm not good with accepting rules that I don't understand. And this is the part that always kept me in touch with Germany because there you can discuss, understand, disagree, tolerate. Right. And that part was missing in the Arab world. So when when you were in Germany, growing up as, as a Saudi in Germany, did you have any of those feelings or were you guys pretty much just melded right in with, with the culture in Europe? No, my father... I, reminded me all the time. I mean, we had different food at home. (laughs) So that was the first reminder every day. But it wasn't like we are the Arabs and they're the Germans. On the contrary, we had Arab friends. We had um, uh, German friends. We were living very well with both sides who who were there so it wasn't like us and them mm-hmm. no we were part we we you know we were fully integrated and still remained arabs did you feel like did you feel like in some ways you didn't quite fit in or don't quite fit in at either place just the way you you're describing it when you came back to saudi it's like you you instinctively knew that there you were kind of out of place and you describing it, you held on to kind of more of your German roots, even though ethnically you're Saudi. So did you feel that in a way as well when you were back in Europe or back in Germany or no? Did you feel more at home there? Um, mentally, I felt more, more at home there at that stage in my life until recently I used to feel mentally much more home in Europe, but 
as I grew up and I'm more balanced, mm. I can feel that um, I belong nowhere. Yeah. Because it's, uh, this is the, I think this is the ugly part. And this is why I established the blog. But I can't, you know, if I discuss things rationally, I'm pretty well at home in Europe mm-hmm. and it's fine. But anything beyond that, uh, no, it's not possible to go back to Saudi with my thinking, with that thoughts, with those thoughts and um, not stay. I can't um, um, follow up in Europe, if you want to call it that way. Yeah. Right. Because of so you can't go back to Europe either because of how you've grown and changed as a person. Yes, exactly. Because, you know, when I left Germany, it was always, I want to go back to Germany. I want to go back to Germany. It was, um, you know, my, my teenager years, um, I just published an, a post on how the Corona uh, crisis right. and the lockdown remind me of my days in Saudi Arabia. I wanted to get into that. And, Absolutely. Uh, uh, that was, um, I wanted to go back in Germany, to Germany. And when I got um, back through my second job, I was very happy. I was very grounded. I was very well received, if you know what I mean. And then with time, I realized the deficit of Europe, you know, not, mm. not to say I'm not judging it. It's just what they miss. And then I started to value uh, my world. And um, it was actually through my first bus that I understood how Saudi Arabia really functions you know what happened with that what happened with your first boss that made you understand that (laughs) he's a very interesting guy he was he's a prince and you know he can say more than what we uh, can say so he used to and he was um, head of the of sagia the saudi general investment authority who's now a ministry he used to say, we were, we Saudis were a bunch of Bedouins who were lost in the desert. And when the oil price, when the oil came, we went on a five-star rocket tour to the moon and came back. Yeah. But we were still Bedouins. Yeah. And then Jehman came, you know, Makkah siege in 1981, if I remember. No, sorry, 1979. And um, since then, things in Saudi Arabia started to uh, get worse until we had the Gulf War where we had uh, the first time exposure to internet and satellite television. And this is how we are. It's a relatively um, new country, modern, but with the tribal thinking until now. Yeah, I I always think back to that, how, you know, the the grandparents today, they grew up without roads. They grew up without hospitals. They grew up without um, any sort of education system, um, formal education system, really. And and it was, you know, you think of um, Dubai and Oman and how in 40 short years, they they have been thrusted into the 21st century. And I think it's extraordinary, but with it, like you said, comes this extraordinary change where in the, the thoughts and the minds, um, the, the core identity is still Bedou in so many ways. And I don't mean that in a negative way necessarily, um, but then it's being thrown, clashed with money from oil. And um, there's just, there's been, there hasn't been any real generational 
kind of transference to be able to slowly grow and adapt like the West has done. Like the West did it over hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, but here in the Khalij, it's happened over 40 years. I think you're very right. You know, what fascinates me most is when I watch Al Arabiya news and you watch those social um, programs mm. and how we talk. We talk, I mean, there's a, a presenter, she talks as if she's talking to her friends, you know, very, very casual. She talks in Hijazi accent mm. and I actually know her. She's a friend of my sister. And I was looking at her and that's not, I mean, this is how you would talk in a sitting room with your friends in a gathering, you know, but not on TV, but that's the Saudi way. That's the Arab way. And um, especially, I think, especially in Hijaz, where I come from, it's much more, um, um, I call it human. I had once an accident in Dubai and my cousin was there. She's a bit older than me. And we were talking to the Dubaiani policeman and I was like I felt very loose mm. you know and I was thinking what am I saying wrong or so I started to reflect and it wasn't the way I'm saying anything not my words it's just the attitude we have a casual attitude you know mm. and um, this is intimacy this is warmth and then there is modernity and internet and um, capitalism and all yeah. these words and mix them together. And this is the struggle Saudi Arabia has to face at this. This is the change, actually. Yeah. A challenge, sorry, um, that is um, um, characterized in the Saudi society today. And so... And you write about this extensively, even the economic changes that have happened over the last um, 17, 20 years um, in Saudi from you know, uh, modernizing modernity when it comes to economic policy, judicial system, um, bankruptcy laws, um, even, even uh, women who are 21 being able to hold their passport without having a, a guardianship or guardian hold their passport, all these these changes are happening very, very quickly, but it seems that they are behind. And I could be, this is a question, not necessarily a statement, but it seems to me that they are, they're kind of way behind the curve due to the internet and that most of society, the youth, the, those, what, 70% that's under 30, um, is thinking and living in a, a very different world and the policies are are struggling to keep up. Is that, am I seeing that correctly? How would you, how would you see that difference between policy and society right now? Well, um, first of all, you're not wrong. And I don't think anybody is wrong in not understanding the current situation. I think many of us in Saudi Arabia, I mean, many Saudis are not able to understand because it's like, you haven't been moving, like you said, um, through um, generational changes like in Europe. No, mm. this is like coming, changes are coming from upside, down, left, right. Necessity, important, should have been, and it's about time, and it was too quick. This is how I would describe changes in Saudi Arabia. So all the changes that are happening are long overdue. And since I was working in the newspaper with Sagia, we always appealed to corruption laws, 
bankruptcy laws, judicial uh, changes in the judicial system, everything we were calling for. Mm. But believe me, no one dreamt of it to happen in this in this speed. Yeah, and overnight. In this, discipline um you know before we used to have the five years plan and everybody was laughing about it because nothing changed and if anything changed then it would be one paragraph in the whole <laughs> twenty-five thousand um, pages document and um i can tell you when the uh driving ban was really uh, lifted i was in Sa- at Jeddah airport and i was seeing the uh um, watching television and I see the, you know, I see the news and the writings and I looked around me, all young girls who wow. were not screaming, who were not jumping. And I was like, guys, girls, don't you think this, this is a miracle? This is impossible. And they were just taking it normally. So you have so many um, different, I don't know how to call them, too, too many different um views, um, perceptions that you have to feed in this change process. And this is why it's difficult to say who's who, but you have to segment and know the younger generation has always been like that. Even in my years, my, my father thought what I was doing was unbelievable, but what we had before was the government, um, religious power who used to control us. At the moment, there are there is no control. The, the game is changing. The rules of the game are changing. So it's not religious control. It's not traditional control. Society doesn't have power as, as it used to be. It's the youth and identity of being Saudi. And this is what's being formed. And we're- Until this is formed, and this is a transition period, mm. and um, um, it will take time. And what do you feel like the, the driving influences are right now that are forming that youth culture and that youth society? I think not being the old country in the world. You know, when people used to ask me, where do you come from? It was easy to say I'm from the country where women are not allowed to drive. Mm. And immediately everybody knew where I come from. Now you can't say that. Now you can't, as a Saudi say, I don't have cinemas. I don't have entertainment. We are in the game, you know, this feeling of not having sin. Oh, you don't have cinemas and being belittled for that, for the things we miss was very horrible feeling. You know, although I was educated and I knew there were so many girls in my age and women, even older than me, who are educated and able to um, participate, participate on the word scene, we couldn't. Now we have the chance. So that feeling of being equal is beyond. This is what I believe is very important to understand about the current changes. And I think um, being not being the old one mm. and showing that we can and we're not retarded and not backward and not what the world used to think about us because of the lack Lift uh, so many bands and bad image we had um, is 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 the driving force. But it doesn't mean that there aren't any things uh, or there aren't issues or topics or deficit to be targeted. No, they are. But at the moment, it's about I am a fully 
um, respected person like everybody else, and I can't. So there's... I used to I used to be able to do, but I've had I didn't have a chance, and it doesn't this doesn't go for men and uh, women only. It goes mm. for everybody. Yeah. So, so wh- what I hear you say is that it's the the empowerment and the equality on the world stage that is really it's empowering the the youth empowering everybody i think you i think it's not only the youth it's being able to use the resources the country has and we have a huge potential in our human resources as i said you know when i wanted to um or i didn't say that actually when i wanted to do my um high when i finished high school i wanted to do medicine and at that time there were only few specialization available for women right. so i decided against it but now there is everything available and i know i will get a job so i can choose so uh with the uh, with the huge amount of young people we have and if we educate them well, um, you will have a good basis for uh, for for a good country. So, 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 bef- as you said, you said before people were they had the the natural ability, like you had the natural ability, um, I'm sure, to succeed as a doctor, but you didn't have the you didn't have the platform, you didn't have the ability to actually go and seek that out because of the limitations that were placed on the culture yeah. it was placed on you and right now all those doors are being opened up but it's almost like yeah. it's almost like you have like a full full bred <laughs> racing horse behind those doors that they've in some ways because of the internet they've already been running the, from when they were a young age they've already been dreaming um what direction do you think that that the youth is going to take in the next 10, 20 years and what is going to be the driving factor that shapes the direction that it takes now that, you know, the, 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 the doors are opening up wide that there's a women can drive, which is, as you said, I mean, that when, when that broke, I was like, I never thought that was going to happen, but I'm also shocked to hear that some people are like, Oh, that's Audi, you know, like no big deal. Um, so my question is, where do you see everything going and what is driving everything over the next 10 years in youth? Um, yeah, I think that's, that's what I'm wondering. Where do you think it's all going to go and what's going to be the driving force? If I may ask, answer your question a bit differently. I think it's a very dangerous time as much as it's promising and, uh, and um, definitely helping the development of the country, the f- the beneficial part, the benefiting part would be economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many young people who will be well fitted in so many jobs, and we won't be needing much of the uh, expat labor force like before. All right. Okay. Right. Because I think those who came back from scholarships to those who were educated, those are willing, who are flexible and learned from internet and so on. They're f- uh, fully and equipped that they will do what any uh, person in Europe or Western world can do. What I see as a danger, and this is, um, 
is more on the social part. Right. Because the gap between the changes, if you look back to them five years ago, we weren't where we were today. So that social development didn't come. What I mean with that, or didn't develop accordingly. And what I mean is the younger generation has have seen their mothers suffering, especially I'm talking about the women, about women. Mm-hmm. They have seen women not being able to do what they wanted to do. They haven't been, they are not fulfilled. So what they're doing is they're going against all traditions and all the norms that have been imposed on my generation, which is 40 and above, and are going against them. Right. They, believe it or not, the uh, divorce rate in Saudi Arabia since the do- driving ban has lived has risen. Wow. Because it's simply, I take my keys, I take my passport, and I take my money, and you have nothing to tell me. And do you so, think that's, um, do you, and do you think that's a good thing in some ways, or do you think that's a bad thing? I think it could be good if you use your rights the right way. Mm-hmm. If you implement them uh, to defend yourself, to um, st- stand up for yourself. But it does not mean that we break everything because not everything in the past was bad. Correct. Not every tradition Correct. was wrong. And we know that religion has been implemented in the wrong way. So not every religion um, uh, uh, religious practice is negative or um, or um, um, threatening. No, I don't see that. But you are. Ta- uh, this is a generation who is reacting and who's getting everything easily. So um, I see that the ten coming ten years would be quite um, uh, quite difficult for society economically. Economic wise, I don't think that. On the contrary, I think it will stabilize and modernize and will, um, as I said, with the great human resources we have. Yeah, I agree. Put on the scene, but um, socially, I, I'm not sure where will we go. I think no. I think that the, the economy is going to stable out right now. You know, it's hard times across the world with oil prices dropping again, which yeah. and you've written about when they dropped below, you know, $16 a barrel, I, b- I believe, in the 80s. Um, that was a big wake up call for Saudi Arabia. And right now oil prices are dropping again, but Saudi is beginning, you know, very strongly to diversify away from oil. Um, And so I agree. I think Saudi is going to pull out of oil and really diversify and become economically stable and sound. Um, And so, and I also agree, my, my, the question really is what's going to happen socially? What's going to happen, um, with society, where are they going to move? Um, it's interesting that you're pointing out that it's like a, a knee-jerk reaction or rebellion almost against um, the the heavy restrictions that were placed upon, especially, clearly, women um, over the last 20, 30 years. Um, but the, going back to this stat, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that divorce is horrible it um, destroys kids' lives. I, I really believe that. So I, I'm not advocating divorce by any means. Um, I think that a, a couple should work it out and they should see a therapist and do whatever they can for the sake of their children um, to stay in, in their marriage. But if all of a sudden women are given freedom to drive, 
given freedom to hold their passports, and a bunch of women are then filing for divorce, doesn't that signify that most of those women were feeling trapped in some sort of uh, abusive or controlling relationship where they were they were held powerless? Um, that would go if those divorces were over 50s or 40s. <laughs> but if you go to someone who just married two years ago or four years ago and she chose the guy, then it cannot be, um, I'm not saying, I'm not ruling it out 100%. And that's not a generalizing rule. Mm -hmm. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, um, and I'm talking about only this group or this segment of society where women or young ladies have felt their economic advantage because these cases I have in my family, they have economic advantage they made the choices they want to, mm. and then they came to, and they wouldn't listen to advices given to them because they wanted to be independent even mm. before independence got it to full stage as it is now, as it is now. And then um, they made the wrong choices. And what I mean to say and what I mean to highlight is that, you know, in the times when things were forbidden, in quote unquote, you know, yeah. they were forbidden for wrong reasons. There were no, there was no reason for um, women not to be driving. I married, I'm married to a German. There was no single reason that he was Muslim or he is Muslim. There wasn't a reason why I shouldn't marry him. But you know what I mean? There were so many rules that were no, no, no. Right. To the, that did not make sense. This resulted that this young generation is saying yes, yes, yes to exactly the no, no, no rule as a reaction. Absolutely. I mean, that's the... And this is, you know, when the panda goes from extreme right to the extreme left and in 10 years it will be in the middle. Exactly. That's like the, the, the classic parenting mistake where exactly. you, you shelter your this child so I'm much. They go yeah, to university my, and they're like, wait a minute. There's a world yeah. outside of my sheltered home where I only got to go outside once once a week. And and the kid goes off the deep end in at university and but it but instead of it being one or two kids who are sheltered, it's an entire generation that is now collectively saying, "Okay, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to I'm just going to rebel against yeah. all of these restrictions and yeah. This is forbidden. This is haram. This is, you know, mamnoor. I'm going to go the other way just because I can. Is that what you're saying? It's the just because I exactly. can, I'm going to go do it. Yeah. And you just, you do fully understand. And there are some, of course, not everybody. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just would would love them to know that, um, you know, not everything was bad. And you have, you're in a better place. Some, yani, this generation is in a better place because they can make all the choices they want to. And you see so many are making them. You see some, um, um, some women, young ladies I'm talking about who can, who balance their lives, mm. you know, and this is, I think what I, I, this is what I wish for, that they get into that balance very quickly. How? But of course, it says a very. Un I, I I do not blame them because it's very um, it's very understandable um, to to react this way. Yeah, when 
you know, psychologists say, at least when the ones that I've listened to, when they're talking about raising children, you know, those first few years of life, it's no, 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 no. You are teaching them where their boundary lines are. You're, you're teaching a, a young child no. And then as they grow older, you start giving them choices. And then when they're hitting their teenage years, you're letting them come up with their own choices and they're coming to you for advice so that when they become adults, they have learned how to have a framework to process and to have a balanced life and to know where the boundaries are. But how can one learn what they, they've never been learned and all of a sudden it, it's gone from everything is no, everything is Mamnoa and you can't drive, you can't go out to all of a sudden, here's your passport, here's a car. Yeah. How, how does, exactly. how, what's your advice to a young woman who is stuck in that place where they're saying, well, that's great that I should balance my life, but how do I go about gaining those tools in order to know how to balance my life in a healthy way? It's very difficult because um, I have an 18 years old daughter and I'm facing this with her. Like I want to practice democracy and still I want to practice um, protection. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, and I would be like to believe that the current situation in the um, Arab world, especially in the Gulf countries, I think I've even published that, the authority that the government has um, on imposing, imposing strict rules on, on, you know, curfew and lockdown, everybody listened. Everybody followed the ropes, whether here in, in Dubai or the UAE or in Saudi Arabia. So this shows that there is still an um, understanding for this somebody above me whom I have to follow, whether yeah. it's my, like in Quran, you know, Allah or my ruler or my, 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 my governor or my father or my, and I believe also that every, every family has its structures. Mm -hmm. So despite everything, we are making those choices within the family um, style lifestyle we have. I mean, you do have exceptions where women, uh, where girls run away, but I can't say that anybody did any, around me in my surroundings or from what I'm been observing, everybody is living their lifestyle um, just openly. Before you had families who traveled and um, lived their life openly and did things they wouldn't particularly do in Saudi Arabia. Now this is the case happening within Saudi. Of course, you're somehow losing balance, but so far it's just losing balance to get in the balance. So they're tasting what's, what's, what life got to offer. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that they are losing completely the, um, the, the, the path, except a few, of course, there were a few exceptions and, um, you can't rule that out completely. My advice is to say that not everything in the past was negative. Um, and every ideology has its good and its, um, its pros and cons and uh, try to make the best out of it for yourself. So there's a lot of, you know, right now in Saudi, I think it's 70% are under 30. And um, they're expecting that in Saudi and in the Khalij that there is going to be a, a major 
um, baby boom as um, <laughs> th- that that age group is hitting the point where they're having kids. And we all know that Arabs have a lot of kids traditionally, at least um, for for parents that are now in a very different age. Um, kids are on computers and iPads almost all the time. Um, which is, I think, a, a ma- major shaper of current culture. In the midst of everything changing in Saudi, how how would you recommend young parents to navigate and set their kids up for twenty forty? So for their five year old, five year old daughter, five year old son, how do you how do you recommend them set their kids up? So that they can succeed in the economy, in society, in twenty years from now. I think to balance. I believe in balance. So any my nieces are in that age, and I see them. They've learned everything through the internet, and we discuss cooking, um, math, uh, homework. Everything is being done through their iPads. Mm-hmm. And I believe they, they through the iPad, they figured out um, um, actresses, cooking shows, math websites, English learning, sciences, that they've navigated, they navigated themselves through the internet right. fully. So right. they know what they like, they don't know what they don't like. They found their place without any instruction. Of course, the iPad has times to be used. And at home, they have a, a balanced life, you know, between religion, tradition, things to be done. And the openness, you can't shut out anybody now. Everything, you know, life is open. Everything is available in front of you. You are, you are attacked yeah. by, by um, advertisement. Others travel and come back with news. You know, everything is around you. So you can't really avoid it or avoid the tide to be. Yes. Yeah. So I think the balance for this generation is happening atom- automatically through school, through like, their exposure to internet or and social media, and uh, through a decent family life. So any parent in a in a who has children in that, that age, I think if they give the child the freedom of using, um, you know. Internet in a decent way and being responsible parents at home, I think mm-hmm. the balance would just come. And this is the kind of, um, by the way, this is the kind of education our grandfathers had, despite the internet. But they had exposure to different cultures which were um, coming to Saudi Arabia in those days and um, economic possibilities because Saudi Arabia was growing and didn't have that much of uh, financial resources or economical resources. So they were able to unfold. And this is exactly what's happening now. Just that at home, there should be a little bit more balance. And I think also maybe going to your, just the question before, I think what we will see now is uh, with the releasing of lifts, um, imposed by society and religion that we will see the true faces that were living in Saudi Arabia. You know, right. before we were kind of unified, we had to act 
to be socially accepted because we didn't have anything except social gatherings. So if you are an outcast, you're just left out and you had nothing to do. But today it's like, if you're not an outcast, you are a weirdo. Mm. So um, now you now everyone can unfold and it's a chance for a person or a child to develop and find him or herself. And that we can only do if we give a balanced education by giving the right identity to who we are or to who our children should be. But do you do you fear that the Internet is going to shape youth culture in a negative way to an extent where they're they're losing their heritage, losing their roots? I mean, in in you can look in Dubai, there's tons of articles, tons of stories of um, Emiratis growing up and they don't they don't know Arabic. They have to learn yeah. Arabic. They're they're being raised with whether it's English or their first language because of the internet or because of their their uh, nanny, whatever language Filipino, whatever she speaks. Um, and because of that, there's there's considerable conversation that we're we're losing our Arab heritage. We're losing our Arab culture. Do you see that happening over the next 10, 20 years if something isn't done and we let the Internet and the Internet culture shape our kids in our society? Or is that what you're saying in there has to be a balance and and parents in the home need to be more proactive? Unfortunately, the Arab language isn't an easy language. No, it's not. And as you know, there are three. I mean, the Quran language, the one that you speak at home, and the official classic, cla- classical Arabic. So yes, I agree. It's a, it's a very ta- huge task. And I see it with my children. Um, teaching them Arabic is beyond. Uh, beside that, most of Arab teachers, whether here or Arabic teacher, whether here or in Saudi Arabia, they are not enthusiastic and not at, as attractive or appealing to teach their subject as other um, courses are or subjects are. But losing the heritage is completely, I don't think so. There will be a lot of doubts about how and why we have certain traditions and that they might be um, old-fashioned. And But no, my I can only, or I can focus mainly on my children. I see them in a British school here in Dubai and there are a group of Emiratis, but the Arabs are among themselves. Mm-hmm. They like to be Arabs. Yep. You know, even the Emiratis, like do you say, they might not speak fluent Arabic, but they like to be Arabs. And um, in the international day, they are the Arabs and they and then among the Arabs, you have the Gulfies and the other Arabs, mm-hmm. you know? So, no, I think, and I believe, I go back to the very first question I think you asked me. I think Saudis having this feeling of being equal and back on the world stage makes us proud of being us. Right. So what kind and which which traditions we will carry on, I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the traditions will go away or we will lose our heritage. You might not know why certain things happened in history, or you might not explain why 
um, why we do certain things the way we do them, but we don't want to lose. I don't see younger, younger generations wanting to lose them completely. And if I may add, you know, even the fashionista you have on social uh, media and Instagram and so on, I don't follow them, but they're Arabs. Yeah, they you are. You know what you mean? They have an Arab culture. The makeup, the perfumes, the style, the way, the way they treat their job, the way they treat their husbands. It's all still in the Arab framework. So that uh, tradition didn't go away. So you've uh, transitioned a little bit. Um, you've brought up the education system multiple times. One, you have an 18-year-old daughter. So you're kind of have probably a strong pulse on, on it. Um, but you've said that you really are confident in the the education system in Saudi and that people will be able to, um, whether it's abroad or locally, um, get the, the right training and jobs that they need in order to minimize the, the reliance on expats to come and fill highly specialized jobs. Um, and, and the same goes for Saudi or uh, for the Emirates. Um, my question is, do you feel like the current education system um, that most of the globe, not just in the Khalij, but most of the globe is operating in, do you feel like that is uh, a model that is going to set up our kids for success in the future? Do you feel like the system mm-hmm. is is going to set kids up for an uncertain future full of AI and automation? You mean um, the system in the Arab world or globally completely? I'm sorry, I didn't get your question 100%. Sorry, globally globally completely, but specifically in the Arab world, as, as you refer to saying that, I really think that the education system, um, or I inferred that you're, you're referring to that the education system is strong and it's going to set up Saudi for strong economic growth. Um, and my question is, do you feel... Because the 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 system in the Khalij, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that far off from you know what they're doing in um, the UK or America, especially with with private school systems. Um, so my question is, do you feel I, like that is a is is going to prove fruitful for the next twenty, thirty, forty years? Um. First of all, I still don't believe for Saudi Arabia the system is fully there. I think there is still huge room for improvement. It's much better where than where it used to be in my days. Mm. And I'm talking about humanistic uh, studies. The um, scientific studies were always good. And um, uh, students who were well doing well in, in scientific uh, subjects didn't have a big problem um, in their further studies abroad, um, it's the humanistic uh, part, which is a problem. And sometimes the language, even if they have spent 10 years uh, or so in an English speaking uh, country. In, the, um, in Saudi, I think there is still huge, uh, huge uh, um, space or room for improvement. In the UAE, it depends on which system you follow, which school you are in. It's a, it's a stronger system, I see. But this is because um, the different setups we had. Um, I think Arab students in general have a good foundation and a good um, uh, thrive to to improve, to be 
playing on the global level. And even if so, uh, some Saudis who have now uh, been graduating from uh, universities with um, UK or American systems, you can see them in high positions in Saudi Arabia. So mm-hmm. I see, I would say, yes, there is uh, a huge potential for Arab students to become important drivers for the economic development in Saudi Arabia. And this is what's happening because you can see even here in the UAE, I see many Saudis in doing different different type of jobs, you know, that I would never have thought they would. Um, it's it, But it's still um, mostly, mostly certain type of areas that Arabs, you know, mingle in mm-hmm. it's not everything whether we will become like germany um industrial car building automotive country one day i don't see that happening in the new future i think the interest and the passion of arabs are mainly um in other subject and i think interacting and communication and all these types of um, fields are more closer to the hearts. But you have lots of great engineers that um, that I wouldn't want to exclude. Right. But um, it's a different formation in the Arab world. But the education does help them to get further. Yes, I see that. Um, excuse me, I just took a drink when you finished. Um so do you, to, to bring it a little closer to home, do you feel like your daughter is set up for success moving into this, this new era of technology and information? Do you feel like yes. your, your daughter set uh, yes. up for success? I, when I went with her to um, Manchester to, to see her universities, um, we got an introduction. There was no um, no um, class or introduction, um, let's say, that she didn't understand. She was fully there. And the way they thrill them here is like, um, she's ready. I think she's ready to do uni even in two years. And I'm not saying that jokingly because it's a tough system mm-hmm. that they have been followed. And she does... Um, the UK system, I mean, A-levels and others who follow the IB level, you can see um, in every school they have people who got scholarships from Harvard or Yale or Princeton. So, yes, I think um, they will not get lost That's in good. the West. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad to hear hear that. Um, you And one thing, by the way, yep. uh, on every level, so you don't have one field, whether it's art school or drama or, or um, you know, engineering or PR and communication, um, anybody who gets a good degree here can apply to any, to any university and can be sure that they will get a good, um, uh, good, good, good you need to get into. Do you feel like the university system as a whole is on shaky ground right now and it's, it's need in the world? might pivot in the next decade? No, on the contrary, I was surprised with how developed and um, wide-ranged universities are. It was really very hard to make a decision because they offer courses and it's not like just a course. There's much more beyond it. And what surprised me most is that there is so much care to it. 
So I thought if my daughter would go, you know, she would be left to do her, to, to make her choices, to choose the model for her year. Um, she wouldn't know how to apply for internship. And every university has a different um, a style to go about this, which off- and offers so much choices and care, personal care, that it was really very hard um, to make a choice. I mean, even a university like Newcastle, um, which is small and you would think, no way, what would take me there? Um, we, we didn't know how to say no to them, not because they were just welcoming. They mm-hmm. were really tailor making a, a, a course based on her um, um, person notification she handed in. I that, forgot the na- real name for that, but... Um, it was very, very um, cute to see how universities are looking into each individual. And um, in her course, there were like 1,500 applicants and they accepted only 120 based on their personalities that would fit into the culture of the university. Hmm. And I like that because I thought with the huge amount of students you have today and who are applying universities don't have time to uh, to give attention to this personal notes that a person carries with them to um, but they are they are taking care of uh, universities are taking care of their identity maybe because of the huge influx from uh, students all over the world mm. well that's good i i think i i find myself I- to be somewhat skeptical um, when it comes to the current model of the education system, um, including university, I, I'm growing more and more skeptical. I mean, of course, if you're going into a specialized job like engineering or becoming a doctor, um, you need to take that route. I think when, I, when I'm starting to look at my kids, I have four boys, when I'm looking at my kids thinking of, of the future that they might live in, I, in some ways, I wonder what what the job market is going to look like for them in twenty years, yeah. and what are the skill sets they're going to need, and and will traditional education systems set them up for success or not? I think I think this is exactly what um, the university ch- ch- she chose did. It did include the market, uh, the view on the market in the years after her graduation. And I think this is why she chose this particular university, because it did not include, as I said, only the coursework and, you know, the classes. But what does this course carry with him? Mm. So there's the the, the director of the, uh, or deputy director, she was telling us about a student she had until year three, um, graduation year, he did not know what he wanted to um, um, write his uh, uh, thesis on. So the way she described him and the way she went about solving that problem was amazing. She said to him after so many meetings, um, what are you? What did you do last night? Well, I looked at Facebook and I looked at the campaign of Gap. Mm. Uh, what they did, and she was pulling her hair because that's what wasn't what he's supposed to do. 
But from that sentence, she was able to tell him, okay, you enjoy consumer market attitude. So this is what you need to write about. I mean, I'm giving you the short, yeah, yeah. Uh, short version of the course, but I loved it. That's amazing. How her human antennas realized his ability. And this is what I wish for my to- daughter. That's amazing. I love yeah. that. I, I want to circle all the way kind of back around to something you mentioned in the beginning of our conversation, which was that that recent article that you posted on your blog um, about being in lockdown in Dubai um, be, due to coronavirus and the cinemas being closed and your feelings of anxiety and how at first you, you said in your your blog that at first you weren't quite sure why you were feeling as you were, but then it came to you that it seemed like there were kind of these feelings and emotions of what your life used to be like in, in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And so my, my question is as, as all that has is changed in Saudi, um, but there's probably still some kind of remnants of it in society to degree, do you feel like that this might be a, an opportunity for governments to kind of seize back some civil liberties? Do you fear that no. happening in the region? No. Not at all? No, no, because um, it, you have to understand the setup of Saudi Arabia to understand, and I think this is what I, and I this is what I wrote at the end of the um, article or the post is that everything of what had happened is a miracle. Yes, is really a miracle. I mean, there are so many things that need to be improved and fine tuned and developed and made more applicable, uh, you know, user friendly, if you want to call it, but. The, the the foundation of change has been established. So there is no way of going back. You just can't go back. There is no, you, you can't because um, the change has been fundamental. It's like you're telling me I'm, I'm building a house on an, at the sea and suddenly you tell me, oh no, um, I'm changing the sea and putting rock, uh, rocks and it will be a mountain area. Mm-hmm. It's not possible. You can't come that far and then change everything, everything all of a sudden. And this is what I meant with the changes. I mean, if you had lifted, uh, if you, if we just had the lift on um, women driving, okay, that's already a miracle. But then the guardian rules that changed, they're fundamental. Mm-hmm. And you know what's interesting is none of these changes are against religion. They are in the framework of religion. Right. They were just before wrong. There is nothing that tells you um, women are not to uh, not allowed to drive in religion. The guardianship law has been completely misused. Mm. Okay, or carried on wrongly. So even when I was telling my Western clients or friends or um, interviews that this is not the real way of religion nobody wanted to believe and by the way mentioning that post do you know i've got critics for writing this post because one person said to me you've mentioned saudi arabia in a very bad way 
And you haven't mentioned how these developments in the last three years developed the country. And I thought, okay, um, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. So, how, how did um, they take that opinion? I mean, you're you're talking about Saudi in, in in a good way of how these developments are great. Yeah, but this is this is you know this is what I'm um, that we spoke about a um, few minutes ago about women, uh, young ladies, misunderstanding and a tradition and so on. Mm-hmm. Now, what is carrying Saudis is identity, and that we are great. And we were always great, but we didn't have a chance to show how great we are. Mm-hmm. So now you're coming and telling us and reminding us our, of our bad past. Um, no, that is not acceptable. We should all forget about it. And that's another way of a wrong way or unbalanced way, in my right. personal opinion, of looking at it. Absolutely. Because I was, I, when I, when I f- went through this, uh, process of feelings, I was so proud of Saudi Arabia. I'm not telling you everything is great or everything I agree on, but at least knowing that if I go back and when I visit, we will spend the evening in the cinema and then driving back home. I mean, I could never said that, say that. Do you know how, how awful it is to live under the mercy of a driver? No, I, Just I, I don't you actually. Know have to, you know you have him. And if you don't have him, you won't be going out. So this feeling in itself, when we used to have three days or mm. and he was uh, the driver was out, we were stuck. Mm. And knowing now that I can take the metro or um, drive is, is, uh, means the world. Yeah. I, I find it. I mean, so- even if everything, but sorry for interrupting, no. but even everything, if so, so much is still not complete, you know, and needs to be improved, I agree. But those moments are very valuable. Well, I find it surprising that because when I read that article, um, I did not, I did, didn't seem like you were talking badly about Saudi at all. You were just accurately describing what life used to be like which then sheds a, a moment of gratitude and gratefulness of the the swift social changes that have have occurred what i find surprising is the number of people who you, you see those those memes on on instagram or even on, on linkedin these days where it's like you can't drive a car by looking in the rearview mirror you know in, implying yeah. that you don't look at the past only look to the future but in reality, all safe drivers are always checking all of their mirrors. They're always looking in their rearview mirrors and their left and the right mirror. They always are aware of what's happening around them. And if if we as global society are not able to look at our past and understand history and understand the things that got us here, then we're going to repeat those same mistakes into the future in another way, shape, or form. So I find it very exactly. surprising that that people want to bury something in the past rather than celebrate the progress that they've made into the future. I agree, and I think this is um, this has always been a problem. But I think this is an Arab way of looking at things that you wouldn't allow people to ask you sensitive, skeptical, doubtful questions without thinking this person um, is going against me and taking us as a personal attack. Mm. On the contrary, we are in a much better place today 
to um, welcome those types of questions because our the Saudi Arabia is open to visitors, to questions, to um, 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 more more um, open communication. Yeah, and and um, um, and you know, before I wasn't able to invite friends to come over or visitors. Now you do have that chance. Of course, we have. Um, some areas that we should not tackle, uh, we should not discuss, but there is so much more we can do. And I think every every citizen is a representative, an ambassador for his or her country. Mm-hmm. And we are just so many of us around the world that we give, we should leave a good impression and explain. Not, we can... I think a lot of Arabs in general, it's the pride, it's nationalism, which I fully understand. Consider explaining, justifying. Maybe that was the case before, but I think now we're not justifying. We're just a country that was not known Mm. in its uh, uh, identities or characteristic or was seen in a um, certain picture. And we have a chance to to show more of what we can and we can't and who we are in, in real. Mm. Talia, you, you mentioned earlier that when you were working at the, the newspaper that you would often write and lobby for changes of insurance, changes, uh, laws against uh, corruption, uh, judicial laws changing, um, the, the guardianship system changing, bankruptcy laws changing, women being able to drive being changed. Um, so many of these things have happened in your lifetime, which, as you have said, is a miracle. And I think I, I am, I am too shocked at how much has changed over the last two two years in Saudi. But what, and you you mentioned before, and it didn't it didn't seem negative. You, you were just saying there's so much work that still needs to be done. We haven't arrived yet. What are you as you look into the future for Saudi? What are the, what are you looking for? Kind of the next few steps of progress that you're like, I see Saudi going in this direction, taking these steps, and when these milestones are reached, that's going to be a really great day for our nation. I think tolerance, mm. tolerance will lead us to become a more balanced society, being able to absorb what comes against us and um, um, handling it very well, and and bringing it out in a positive way that we will make, uh, that will be beneficial for us. As long as we can't handle that, there will be so much imbalance in our daily life, in our human interaction with it, amongst each other. I'm not in Saudi at the moment or I'm most, most of my time, but I think as long as tolerance doesn't exist, mm. um, imbalance will be in every as- social aspect uh, in Saudi Arabia or for Saudis and in Saudi society that will be reflected in, 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 um, their human relations with themselves, among themselves, with expats in the country and with the outside world. Mm. Can you, can you help me define tolerance a little bit? Because the way, the way that it's used in the West and in the States, I, I find to be a very different practical meaning and outplay than it does here in the Khalij when we talk about tolerance here. Um, tolerance in, in the West has in many ways been 
kind of a weaponized term um, where that any time that someone disagrees with you, um, especially for like the younger generation, <laughs> snowflakes, like, well, you're disagreeing with me. You're just not tolerant, which um, I find to be the very opposite of what the word should mean. Um, but you've even mentioned earlier that there there needs to be this ability for disagreement. So how do you see the word tolerance um, play out? Does it mean actual see, more I, I, dis, I, I, open I, disagreement I, with cultures, but still letting people have those cultures? Or is it saying um, you have to fall in this line as they're doing in the West right now? I take the first choice. It's you being you and me being me. Mm. In, in, and even in the Quran, it says, you have your religion, I have my religion. And what I mean with tolerance is understanding that not everybody who's against a certain point of view is against my country or my family or my tradition or whatever belongs to me. We can live with disagreement. We can love each other with yes. disagreements. We can get along. And on the contrary, we can even preserve, preserve our tradition, our religion, our identity, even though if we have different um, um, cultures or traditions living next door. Um, of course, we have a different setup and framework and there are limits to everything. But as long as um, uh, um, this goes in, in alignment with the rules, with the uh, law of Saudi Arabia, why should that be wrong? Yeah. And this is what I still miss in the mentality of most people. Mm. I think I think we need that in the West too. Again, right now everything is <laughs> so polarized that you can't yeah. you can't disagree with someone without being called a name or being called racist yeah. or you can't have a, a disagreeing okay. thought outside of your identity politics, um, whatever tribe you're a part of. And so I I am in full agreement with you that we need to have more disagreement. We have to be able to have those, those conversations where we come away saying we think differently, but we can still be friends. We can still have a relationship. We can exactly. still work and collaborate together to build uh, a country, to build a society, to build a, our world. And I think one, I, one thing parenthood has taught me is if I don't speak and I don't discuss and I don't teach, um, I will create a fear. The fear, the wall of fear will get higher and higher mm. and higher and will block communication. And it's not easy to uh, tackle this fear, to discuss that fear, to, um, to, uh, to confront it. Um, but once I manage to do that with my daughter, I realized that our relation has gained trust. Mm. It wasn't very easy, especially, you know, with my views and her views and we clashed. But I had, um, um, as a mother, not to lose her, I had to change a lot of my thinking or my perspective or so on things. So able to, to understand her, it didn't, it did not mean I changed my values mm -hmm. or I changed my, my opinions, but I was able to un change my method of talking to her. It's powerful. And this is what, and I believe this is um, what you said goes for everybody. I mean, there are the Arab moms, there are the Western moms here in Dubai, you have a much more variety. And I realize 
Western worms are also unable to talk. It's all the they same. They also clash with the children. You know, I always thought it's this Arab moms group, like my daughter likes to call me. But no, it's uh, even um, my son is 14 and he has more um, Western friends as um, in his group. And they clash the same way we clash. Mm-hmm. And in some forms, they're even stricter. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I love... I love what you said, how if we don't communicate, if we don't talk, if we just scoop things underneath the carpet, we give silent treatment, we avoid topics, that fear continues to build and build and build, and that separates our relationship. And if there is fear, then there's not trust. And if we don't have trust between our children, then they're not going to listen to anything that we say. And the same goes for society, that we actually have to begin to open up and have those dialectical conversations that are difficult, that are hard, that are challenging, that are, that could point out faults in ourselves. It can point out faulty ways that we have thought or we have acted that we'll have to apologize for. And that's very, a very vulnerable thing. But I also like how you said, it doesn't necessarily mean giving up your values. In the West right now, tolerance means you need to give up your values and accept my yes. values. But yeah. but the real real tolerance is saying, I have a set of values and I have a, a, a way of viewing the world and you do too. I can change the way that I interact with you so that we can meet on common ground. And I, I just thought you said that so beautifully. Um, and if if we talked for an hour and 10 minutes and that was the only thing that someone heard, um, I think that would have been... Uh, I think that is just such a, a beautiful and important, important point for the, the day and the age that we live in. Yeah, I think one one credit I have to give to Dubai, really, it's a city of tolerance, mm. especially Dubai, because my kids in their school, they have children who come with a Bentley, who go with the metro, who come with a taxi, who use their bicycles, and everybody is friends with everybody. There is no discrimination. They are the ones who pray. They're the ones who are Sikhs, the ones who are Catholics. And everybody respects everybody. Nobody points at anybody. There is no group. You have the money. I don't. You can't come. Your pocket money is too little. Nothing of that. It's a a mixture of everything. And this is uh, something um, really I, I, I love about Dubai. Yes, because even when my now my kids when they travel, um, they don't look at nationalities, they don't look at backgrounds, they look at the human being in front of them, and this is something you know. When I came to Dubai, oh, this is the year of tolerance and so on, and I didn't um, didn't wasn't aware what it means, and I didn't even give attention to it. But with time. I realize now when we went to the UK and my daughter met a group of her friends from old, her old school, I thought, wow, what an, what an interesting mixture. Mm-hmm. Different background, religious, financial, cultural, but they all love each other and care about each other. And you wouldn't find that in many places around the world. No, no you don't. That is one amazing thing that they have worked so hard to, yes. the cultural piece they've worked so hard to um, create in Dubai. And I think that yes. is that is amazing. Yes. 
Talia, thank you so much for your your time today. Um, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate all your your insight, your wisdom. Um, (laughs) And it was just such a pleasure talking. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure to be on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Own the Future. I hope that you got that last, that last takeaway punch hit me in the stomach when Dahlia said it about how we must learn to bridge the gap. And that doesn't mean that we resign our values. It doesn't mean we give up our values. It means that we are able to engage with people in disagreement, that tolerance is disagreement, but still being able to love and care and cherish one another, even when people choose things that are against our value system, even when people choose things that actually end up hurting us. And I think that is one of the most powerful things that we can take away from this episode of Own the Future. Please, if you enjoy and listen to this podcast, I promise you, you will enjoy my book, Anchored the Discipline to Stop Drifting. I wrote this in a time of my life when everything seemed to stop. All my structures, all my crutches, all my my metrics of success were no longer valid and were no longer working in my life. And that caused me to go deep within the cave and study and read and come back out with a more a, a clearer understanding of how I could be successful, how I could reach my goals and my dreams and where success actually lied and where values actually lied, where fruitfulness actually came from. So please check out my book, Anchor the Discipline to Stop Drifting. I promise you it will not disappoint. And if it does disappoint, I will give you a full refund. Money back guaranteed. That is all for today's episode. Remember, I'm Lucas Grobot. You are a change maker. And if you own your story, you will own the future.